Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, and today we're going to be talking a lot about electric vehicles. Starting with, Tesla is building a new Mexico factory that'll be about 50% of the size of the Austin Gigafactory and costing about 65% of that. This factory will probably be used to build smaller cars and will be building the cars in like smaller module units and then putting those units together, which will would overall is reducing the size of this factory. Now, a lot of companies do build their smaller vehicles in Mexico to save on labor costs and material costs, just costs overall. It'll be near Monterey. And yeah, I mean, this can be a cool, cool thing. Uh, some of the other stuff they announced at this event is that it'll probably cut costs in half for the Model 3 and Model Y next gen, which would be pretty insane. That's a large cut in half. Uh, they cut costs in half between the early Model S and Model X models for the second gen. And yeah, they're hoping to do that again here for Model 3 and Y. The company also said it's going to be opening up 10 of its supercharger stations to owners of electric vehicles on of as of Wednesday. So that is what we talked about the other day about them opening uh, their supercharging network to everybody. They're kind of rolling it out in slow to kind of test it out and see how it works especially because they're going to have to add these adapters to what most other electric vehicles use. So on that note, they also announced, and this is only going to be starting in Texas, a basically unlimited charging plan for at-home users of 30 bucks per month. And it'll mostly be using wind as the power source. This also requires having a Tesla Powerwall and basically will just only take at the cheapest times a day to charge your Powerwall, which they'll offset your car charging with. So that is a, it's a big deal. We'll see what happens here. The factory and my speculation, this might be one of the starting places for doing the model two. They did say that they would have a proper unveiling if they were doing another vehicle or something along those lines and what will be built at this factory in general, it will not be taking from the current production of other factories at the moment. But that said, we'll see what they actually really end up building here. The other question here is, will this factory be able to bring, be able to be brought online as fast as Giga Texas or Berlin? Uh, I think it probably will be just because it's going to be way smaller for one. And it's fairly close to Giga Texas anyways. So hopefully there can be a little bit of helping as they go. But it's yet to be seen how that will all play out. While we're talking about Tesla, we can also talk about how Toyota engineers were blown away at the changes that have happened across the Model Y's life here. So they basically praised the design after doing a teardown analysis, highlighting the simplicity and effectiveness of the electric powertrain and battery system. And like I said, impressed about the changes under the skin since the first few models have rolled off the line for that car. The engineers also noticed also noted that the Model Y's body structure was very well built and featured advanced manufacturing techniques, allowing for better quality control and durability. Things including like the structural battery or other similar things that Tesla's been doing. So this is just interesting to see as the largest automaker in the world, you don't see them highlighting other companies that often. But on that note, they also, the automaker sold only 24,466 EVs worldwide last year, which is a drop in the ocean compared to the 2.6 million hybrid vehicles it sold during that same period, 
or the 1.3 million electric vehicles delivered uh, by you know global EV leader Tesla. It's just fascinating to see where these companies are really at. And being the largest automaker, you would expect them to have done more EVs. But this, again, just shows the head start that Tesla really has in this. But them tearing down vehicles like Tesla also shows that Tesla's goal of accelerating the transition is really happening. That's something that they're actually pushing other car companies to do, which is great to see. The transition does need to happen. How fast it will happen and if it should happen super fast is to be seen, but we're starting in the right direction. So how do you think automakers like Toyota can incorporate EV technology and design strategies of companies like Tesla? This is just another thing that this shows here is the way that cars are currently manufactured compared to how Tesla or even Rivian is manufacturing vehicles is so wildly different. And especially in Tesla's case, it's so much more automated and they're able to refine the process constantly. So you don't have releases every year of a new vehicle, which I think is a very helpful thing to do. I think only doing, you know, larger updates every couple years, every three years, but you know, every six months you hear like, Oh, they're changing this in the, you know, whatever in a couple months, they're going to be doing USB-C ports instead of this, or they just came up with this part instead of that part, stuff like that constantly evolving the process and not doing larger changes is great from a manufacturing and company perspective well as a consumer kind of sucks because you don't know when the update's going to happen if you're getting technically a worse model than when you placed your order or a better model things are just changing so rapidly that it's hard to keep up with what's really going on with the car if it's doing the yearly updates is great for that reason so what impact do you think knowledge sharing and collaboration I mean, Tesla's been pretty open about things. They show off things all the time. And we're seeing now, even with the superchargers being opened up to everyone else as the largest network in the world, it's great to see them doing that. And it'd be great to see if other automakers start doing stuff like that as well, at least on the consumer end of things. And the companies like Rivian, which we're going to talk about next here, is doing stuff like working with Ford, working with Amazon to build these electric vehicles where they are... I mean, there's an exchange, but they're collaborating in a kind of way to kind of move this forward. Well, we're talking about Rivian. Rivian's R1T pickup trucks tops JD Power's power. Well, JD Power's rankings for the electric vehicle satisfaction. So it scored the highest in the EV segment in terms of customer satisfaction, followed by Model Three, then the Kia EV6, and that I believe is just in the U.S. What I found fascinating about this is. For one, Ford's Lightning didn't make it up there. And I was surprised it was the Model 3 and not the Model Y, but I, I suppose the Model Y is just not as widely out there yet. And buyers who used EV pickup trucks to tow showed higher overall satisfaction than those who didn't, which in my mind means that the people that are using these, that are buying these electric vehicles and are towing with them must only be doing short distances because... There's so many benefits to towing with an EV, and one of them is not range. And range is severely hindered by towing, which, again, if those people that are doing the towing are saying they have an overall satisfaction, they like how the truck drives better, how it pulls better, the you know instant ability to drive where it feels more like a car that you're not towing with because of the weight of the vehicle and the just you know sheer power. 
but they're clearly not going far with the towing. Otherwise, I think their satisfaction would probably be lower because you'd be like, I can't go anywhere when I'm towing things. So the growing popularity of electric picture trucks, the success of the R1T, you know, highlights the increase of demand for these trucks with several other automakers, Ford, GM, Ram, releasing their pickup trucks in the coming years. You know, what are some of the unique fe features that bring this car to higher satisfaction than those vehicles? I think one, I think the way that newer companies are doing things, I think the people that are buying from a Rivian, from a Tesla, are still the people that love the company, not necessarily your average buyer. I think your average buyer still looks at the Ford, still looks at the Ram. Their satisfaction might not be as high because they're like, well, my old Ford did this, my old Ram did this, and yeah, this car like drives better, it feels better on the road, but I, I'm losing out on a ton of range or you know, some other thing they enjoyed more. And I think that's what we're seeing here is Rivian's still kind of in the honeymoon phase of owners, especially because I think they only delivered like 24,000 vehicles last year. So the people that are reviewing it are the people that were dedicated to Rivian themselves. You know, how do you think the popularity of these are going to impact in the automotive industry? I think that's pretty straightforward, too. We're just going to see more and more changes and more and more companies building these electric trucks to try and move things forward faster yet to be seen if their range will be any good. That's why the Cybertruck will be super interesting. If that vehicle ends up having, you know, the estimated 500 miles of range, if you're getting 250 miles of range while towing, that'd be incredible. And we'll get to be seen on that. I'm guessing Tesla will be a lot closer to their actual range just based on how they're able to get so much range out of the Tesla Semi. Hopefully that means that you won't lose as much because they'll have learned from that when it comes to the Cybertruck. Next up is iSIM is the new eSIM. So eSIM is going by the wayside if you're a Samsung owner and they're reporting to integrate these iSIMs into future Galaxy devices, potentially eliminating the need for a physical SIM slot. So that's important for a few reasons. For one, eliminating that SIM slot is better water resistance for sure. Easier to switch phones, easier to switch carriers. You don't need, you know, actual hardware to do it. You just do it. Um, this is directly integrated onto the processor itself, such as the Snapdragon, Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, and will measure less than one square millimeter and resides just, you know, right inside there. I believe the most recent eSIM was 24 millimeter, so quite a bit larger, and obviously it's separate from the device itself. Yeah, so this will improve security, battery life. It'll improve a lot being right there on the Snapdragon itself. So big deals there. So how could this impact the market and, you know, whatever else? Like I said, easier to switch carriers, easier to water-resist devices, just better power consumption, better battery. Really straightforward. Uh, what challenges or concerns may arise? As always, new technology, always sketchy. Samsung, new technology, always out there on the first gen, but this is something pretty straightforward. I don't think this will be too big of a deal. Twitter has possibly a new CEO candidate, Steve Davis, who's an, I believe he's active at Twitter right now, but he's also the CEO of the boring company, uh, is possibly going to be somebody who takes over the CEO role of Twitter. So he's had a cutthroat approach, uh, and other things areas i believe that elon musk i can't remember which company it was but he put him in charge of a company and he was supposed to cut like 
half a billion dollars and he cut nearly a billion and which is crazy i mean that's a large saving so something like twitter that's hemorrhaging money apparently could use somebody who's willing to do that level of large cutting other than just getting rid of employees there's other ways to do it which steve davis seems to be good at doing so his cutthroat approach to work was made apparent in october when he began sleeping at the hq of twitter with his wife and newborn child so homies as dedicated as elon himself and yeah this guy's done a lot apparently he previously owned a yogurt shop which he sold for a dollar and he owned a bar as well, which is interesting to get into while you're working at the boring company or Twitter or both at the same time. The second question we just have, question we have here, I guess, there wasn't really a first question. There's not really questions here. It's just news. You should know that Steve Davis is possibly looking at being the new CEO. Not announced or anything, but just rumored based on what he's doing at Twitter at the moment. But do you think Elon's use of Twitter has significantly impacted Tesla's reputation? I think that Tesla's reputation is fully on what Elon has done that day. So if Elon's having a good day, Tesla's having a good day. If Elon's not, then Tesla's not. I think it's just part of having a CEO that's as vocal as somebody like Elon Musk. There's a lot of benefits that come with that, though. Your company will be in the news a lot. Your company will just be able to get things out there. Interacting with people is part of the way that you drive people to actually see and check out your stuff people always know what's going on with your company whether that's good or whether that's bad they do and that's that's advertising that they don't have to pay for and tesla obviously doesn't pay for so well it hurts the company a lot of the time it also helps the company a lot of time and that's why everyone talks about tesla almost every day there's always something going on with elon or tesla or something so that's all as they say any news is good news and news is advertising so next up we have possibly the next uh, crush of gpus here so chat gpt might need up to thirty thousand gpus so it's been gauged that chat gpt requires around twenty thousand units to process training data however the number will increase significantly to potentially over thirty thousand units that's as more companies are paying for the commercial use of chat gpt like coca-cola like snapchat they're going to be able to process all that data and get quick responses out. So the current chat GPT, like I said, uses around 20,000, and that's for pre-trained, you know, the GPT model currently. What they use is A100s. A100s cost between ten dollars and $15,000 per unit, which isn't very cheap. And if you need a lot of those, that's a lot, and that's NVIDIA making like $300 million. So the purpose of these GT GPUs is to train the chat GPT model to improve its natural language processing capabilities. So all these people, all these YouTubers, all these internet people screwing around with chat GPT all day has been training it to get better and better and better. And as more and more people use it, as their numbers have boomed, as you've seen chat GPT's daily active users skyrocket, then you'll be able to process more and more data, which means they need more GPUs. Hopefully, this won't be another GPU shortage from, as ChatGPT's gotten big, you know, we have Bing using ChatGPT, we have Google with their own, Amazon with their own, Apple's probably working on their own, we just haven't seen it yet. All those companies are going to need this tech to boost it up. So hopefully, this won't cause another chip shortage. 
And, you know, NVIDIA, who was supplying these, is known for being, you know, might prioritize the big guy a little bit and just take cash grabs when they can take cash grabs. So we'll see if this is a big effect. Hopefully it won't be, but you never know. With companies like this, you just never really know what's going to happen here. Next up, we have iMessage is coming to Windows. After pairing your iPhone with a PC via Bluetooth and granting some permissions on the iPhone, users can send and receive iMessages and SMS texts back using phone link on Windows. There is no support, however, for group chats or sending photos or videos. So it's kind of iMessage. It's kind of not iMessage. You're missing some of the big benefits of iMessage with group chats and photos and videos. PhoneLink also lacks full message history and conversations and displays all sent and received messages at gray bubbles, meaning you have no idea if it was an SMS or an iMessage that you received. Which it's, I don't know if that's as big of a deal as people think it is. Personally, iMessage doesn't really matter to me. PhoneLink uh, with iOS support is currently in beta through only developers in the Windows Insider program. So the big question for me on this, is this program the start of moving this iMessage to other devices or is Windows just that big where Apple wanted to do something to kind of pull people towards the Apple ecosystem and make it feel a little bit better? Who knows? I this is this is weird to see after Apple has refused to work with Google on any extent of iMessage or even is it RCS on Android? They refuse to do anything like that to the point where Google has built things on their end to make it work on Android and on Apple now you're the ones getting kind of shafted more. Well, videos and photos might look as, not look as good. If you like one of my like one of my messages on iMessage and it sends it to my phone, you used to get like a blank liked and then your quoted message. Now on Android, you just actually get the emoji there and it does it to iOS instead. Where on iOS, you get blank liked and then <laughs> the message. So maybe this is the start of Apple branching out here a little bit. Maybe this is Apple seeing Windows as somebody they have to work with. It seems wild that they are even working with anybody, but better late than never, I guess. We'll see here. I think what we're going to see is with the iPhone coming out with possibly a Type-C and them having to give in to some of the EU's demands here, maybe things like this will become pushed a little more here. It'd be good to see if the U.S. could, or North America could push some stuff forward too to kind of force this level of adoption like EU. Well, I don't like the government doing that. It'd be nice to just see some level of, you know, this is a security concern on both sides. Let's, you know, work together here maybe a little bit. I think that's it for this week, though. That's all I got, or not this week, but today. This is all I have for today. I'm excited to see what Giga Mexico looks like here and what Twitter's new CEO ends up being. I'll catch you guys in the next one.